No need to turn your microphone off, but I sure did. So, uh, all right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the today. I thank you for each person who braved the weather, braved the roads, and came out. Thanks for keeping us safe as we got here. God, we ask and pray that as we open up your word today, that you would speak. God, that you would teach us, that you would challenge us, that you'd, your word would look inside of our lives, and we would have to take an honest evaluation and see how we're doing. God, we pray that you'd provide the encouragement we need. And God, most of all, we'd understand as we look at your word that our faith is about a relationship with you. A God who is full of grace, a God who is full of mercy, and a God who loves us, but a God who wants the best for us. And so God, I pray that we would see that this morning, that you would challenge our minds in what we think but you challenge our hearts in how we live and how we treat each other and the things that we feel. God, for the group of who's traveled down to Atlanta, we ask that you'd give them safe travels in this morning and that that time that they have down there would be a fantastic time of growing in their relationship with you. God, this is all about you. It's about your glory. It's about your kingdom. And all that we do is to bring honor to you. We pray all this in your name and by the power of Jesus. Amen. All right. So it's been crazy. It's been a little bit lazy. Anybody else like lost track of days this last week? We're like, is it Tuesday? Is it Thursday? I don't know. It starts with T, ends in day. I have no clue. Did I change my pants this morning or did I not? Right? Like it's been a kind of a relaxing kind of period. But as we start this new year, what's that year going to look like? We're surrounded in a culture, and I think that video hits it, that is full of noise, right? There's all kinds of noise all around us. So my question for you is, for those of you who fly on a regular basis, or if you don't, maybe you eventually, every once in a while, put your phone on airplane mode. So when you board that airplane and they say, all right, you need to turn your phone off, what emotions does that stir inside of you? Are you someone who's like, oh, this is going to be great. I can't get any text messages, no emails, nothing. I'm going to put on my headphones. I'm going to fall asleep. And I'm just going to enjoy the peace and quiet of this flight for the next two to three hours. Or are you the person who's already called your cell phone provider ahead of time and said, hey, how do I make sure that I can still have internet and still be connected and still be, get all the things done that I need to get done during this flight? So I think there's two groups of people in the world. And the truth is these little things control our lives more than we want to admit sometimes, right? Like if it doesn't buzz or ding, I'm probably going to miss every meeting I have because I am fully dependent on this piece of technology that sits in my back pocket. And for a long time, I was in youth ministry 
And every youth trip, I'm old and I'm mean, that's what the students told me anyway, I would not let them take their cell phones on the trips. And now eventually kids came to appreciate this. I'm not sure the parents ever got behind it. They were, and kids would walk up to me. My favorite memory was the kid who comes up to me and he's like, we stopped to eat on the first stop or something. He's like, hey Jason, I just wanted to give this to you. And I was like, well, thank you. What happened? He's like, well, my mom told me I had to keep it, so I, she made me sneak it in, but I don't want it, so you take it. I was like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. So, but one time, a couple years ago, we went to the Boundary Waters. Now, if you're not familiar with the Boundary Waters, it's a series of lakes across the top of the state of Minnesota that borders Minnesota and Canada. And when you go up there, you have left all civilization. Right, so you turn on the Gunflint Trail, that's the trail you take to get in, and pretty much the minute your front tires of your car hit the Gunflint Trail, everything dies. There is no cell service, there's no connection, there's no anything. So on all these trips that students couldn't bring their cell phones on, I still had mine. So I could stay in contact with Corey or their parents if they needed anything, but all of a sudden, now we're alone. You can like put the cell phone in the glove compartment for the next week, there will be no interruptions. I'm not gonna lie to you, when I began preparing for the trip, I thought, this is gonna be a little difficult. I, I mean, I, I'm literally on my phone every day, at least multiple times. I didn't realize just how difficult it was gonna be to turn that thing off and put it in. I would be working on this building or carrying whatever, and I would swear I felt the vibration. And I'd reach for my back pocket where my phone is, and I'm like, there's no... So you got these ghost vibrations, and then you'd like see something, and I'd want to take a picture and take it to somebody, and it wasn't there. But isn't it important that we disconnect every once in a while? So change that from our phones to our connection to our Heavenly Father. When you think about sitting in a conversation with God, a being you can't fully understand, who isn't physically present in the room with you, what emotions does that begin to stir up in you? You see, our growth in our prayer life and in prayer is a huge part of what it means to be in a growing relationship with Jesus. And yet, it can be super intimidating to pray, right? Would you like me to prove that to you? Who would like to come take the microphone and pray for us right now, right? No one, right? So you're like, mm -mm, don't you call on me. I'm not doing that. I've been in enough small groups, even in like six or eight people in your living room, people are like, Who would, who'd like to pray? Everyone bows, everyone looks down. They're not praying. They're not bowing their head to pray. They're just like, don't make eye contact. He won't call on me if I don't make eye contact. And yet, this is such a vital part of our relationship. And there have been thousands and thousands of books written on this topic. And Yet, we're going to try to talk about it in two weeks. So if you're curious, no, we're not going to dig into the depths of prayer in these next two weeks, but we're going to kick off our year focused on prayer. Because I think this helps us get started in the right direction. And for two, 2022, prayer is going to be a major focus for us here at Great Oaks. So if you call Great Oaks home, you're going to hear us talk about prayer a lot and that's for a lot of reasons. Everything we do is based and has its foundation in prayer and on scripture. When you come here on Sunday mornings, we're going to teach scripture. We're going to pray together. And we hope that that 
causes you to grow in your own private relationship, your own conversation with God. It's really just about communication with the God who loves us, the God who saved us, the God who created us. And so we do it in community, but we have to become good at it as well. And in order for each of us to grow, we're going to have a different focus every month. And we'll kind of kick off the month either on Sunday morning or through our e-news, if you haven't signed up for that, letting you know what that prayer focus is going to be for each month of 2022. And behind the scenes, what I really value your prayer for is starting next month, a team of staff are going to begin working with a consultant to pray about where God has take, is going to take us in the future. The, we're going to look at the unique gifts and strengths that Great Oaks has, the unique gifts and strengths and opportunities that God has given us, and we're going to begin to pray about and to work through a process about where do we want to see ourselves in a year, in three years, in five years, and then in 10 years. Now, obviously, the 10 years is like in pencil, right? We're just kind of hoping that's going to get there, but we'll see. But what we need in that process is your prayers. We need your prayer for wisdom, that it's not about me, it's not about any one staff member, it's about honoring God in this process and in our community. And so as we enter into that process, we think it's really important that we have a church focused on prayer and praying together so that we can come together as a team to see where God's gonna lead us in the future. So as we begin this prayer focus in 2022, I wanna take a look at Paul's prayers. First this week for the Philippian church, and next week for the church in Ephesus. So if you have your Bible or your phone, go ahead, pull it out, open up to Philippians chapter one, verse three. If you wanna use your phone, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, you can look that up. You can go to events and search Great Oaks and you'll have all the notes and you'll have a spot to take your own notes. We point that out to you every week because if you're a note taker, so maybe you like to have journals laying around. I have a stack of them. They're in a box somewhere. I don't know if I'll ever open them up. But if you take notes in the YouVersion Bible app, those notes are stored there for you and you can look back on them and see how God was, what was God teaching me here? How have I grown in my relationship? And so it is this opportunity for us to see that. And as you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter one, verse three, I wanna ask you a couple questions. And I want you to answer these in your mind. Maybe you can jot them down if you want. But what helps you connect with God through prayer best? When you look at your own prayer life, what helps you connect with God best? Are you someone who prays best sitting in silence? You need no distractions, nothing in the room, absolute silence. Or are you someone who are like, if I did that, I'd fall asleep. So I need to be walking. I need to be moving to connect with God in prayer. Maybe you need instruments playing, some kind of music playing in the background. Maybe you need to be outdoors. Maybe you're someone who needs to be in a quiet room because you've got to say your prayers out loud. This is a huge revelation for me. If I speak my prayers out loud, I don't fall asleep. They never end with snoring that way. They always end with amen. So where do you need to be to pray? I don't think there's a right or wrong place to be, but where do you need to be? Second question, when you pray, what do you spend most of your time praying about? Do you spend most of your time thanking God for who he is, praising him for who he is in his being, in his nature? Do you spend time thanking him for what he's done, for the ways he's blessed you, for the ways he's watched over you, for the gifts he's given you? Are you someone who spends your time in confession? You know, saying, God, I missed the mark this week. 
I made some mistakes, I sinned, I'm not proud of it, but God, I, I need your forgiveness. Or do you spend most of your time making your requests? These are the things I need. This is what I want, God, this is what I need. So as, if you think about your prayer time, where are you spending most of your time in those four areas? Third question, are your prayers focused more on what you want or on what God wants? If you are honest, you don't have to claim this to anybody, but are your prayers more focused on your wants and desires or God's wants and desires? How do we balance that? And lastly, if you could learn or grow in your understanding of prayer in one way in 2020, what do you want that to be? Sometimes I think we don't grow because we don't actually set goals for ourselves. So I like to think about it this way. If I was to sit down with you and have a cup of coffee on December 31st, 2020, what do we want to be true about our prayer life? What do I want to be true about my prayer life at the end of 2020? What do you want to be true? And now how are we going to get there? So be thinking about those things as we listen to Paul's words to the Philippian church. Verse 3, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. The, would somebody like to get a letter that starts that way? I'm like, Paul is just gushing over this church. It's a special church for him. It's actually the first church he ever started on the continent of Europe that we would, they wouldn't call it Europe then, but we call it Europe now. It's the first church Paul planted on that continent. And why Paul was there, he made some deep friendships that he talks about in all of his letters beyond that. But he also gets thrown in jail there. And through God's miraculous ways and workings, he gets delivered from jail and he gets to share the gospel with the Philippian jailer. But different than almost all of Paul's letters, he has no words of condemnation. No like, hey, you need to work on this for the Philippians. It's like everything you're doing is great, right? Like, wouldn't we love to just get the letter that everything you're doing at Great Oaks is fantastic? I don't know if we're there yet or not, but that's our goal, right? That's what we're pushing for. That's what Paul says to the Philippian church. He's not condemning them about anything, but he is going to push them. Because when we get to that point, isn't it real easy to sit back and just be content with what we've got? And Paul says, I don't want you to be content. I want you to push continually. So listen to how he prays in verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruits of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. 
As we read this, Paul's heart for this church is so evident. And so is his desire that they would continue to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Because for them and for us, following Jesus is a growing process. Don't miss that. Following Jesus is a growing process. You're never going to arrive. I'm never going to arrive. We're not going to be the, get, wake up one day and be like, I have no more steps to take. I have achieved a relationship with Jesus. It's done. No, this relationship, just like every relationship we have, is something we have to keep investing in, something we have to keep working for. And Paul says, I want you to keep growing to be more like Jesus, and I want you to be these type of people. And he gives them three things he wants them to work on. I want you to be people who are overflowing with love. Who are overflowing with love. He says this at the beginning of his prayer that your, your love would overflow to those around you. Now this is not like a sentimental type of love that's like, like when you first fall in love with someone and you're like, oh, everything about them is perfect right? When we moved here, we saw our house and we're like, everything in this house is perfect. We love it. If it was just a sentimental love, I'd move out tomorrow, right? There's some nicks in the walls. There's some creaks. There's some, that we had a pipe like start leaking water into our basement right as my family came over Christmas. It was awesome. This is a love that says, I'm going to work on it. I look at it as a marriage type of love. We're in this, right? If you've been married for a while, how many of you have disagreements with your spouse? I know it's really hard to admit that, but like, right? Like my wife and I, we, um, God bless her. She is the sweetest person. She has to put up with me all the time. So when we first got married, we went on our honeymoon and we went to the grocery store and we came home. And I came home from the grocery store and I took the cheese out of the grocery bag and I put it where the cheese goes in the refrigerator, and for me, the cheese in the refrigerator goes in that little door on the side of the door where the butter, it's like the butter and the cheese. That's where they go, this little slide door. She comes over and she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm putting the cheese away. And she goes, that's not where the cheese goes. I'm like, that is where the cheese goes. And what I realized was growing up, we had Kraft Singles cheese. That was about the only cheese we had in the house. We didn't eat a lot of cheese growing up. That's what we had. That's what I put on my bologna sandwich. It was great. The cheese goes next to the butter. My wife grew up in a family where oftentimes there are four to five different types of cheese in the house. They won't all fit in that door. She goes, no, the cheese goes over here in the, in the crisper, in this like little, I'm like, no, that's where the fruit and vegetables go. She's like, no, the fruit and vegetables go in this one. The cheese and meat go over here. So the cheese and meat now go in the crisper. That's what I learned. <laughs> but this idea that love takes work. And as we get to know each other, we have to grow in that love. Right? Because when we get to know each other, we get to see each other's faults. We get to see the mistakes. And that's what Paul prays. I pray that your love would grow, would overflow out of you as you grow in knowledge. As we grow in understanding of who Jesus is, we should become more and more and more loving. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. 
as we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who Jesus is and how much God loves us, if you think about God's love coming into the top of your head, that love should fill you from the bottom. And as that love and knowledge of how much God fills us comes out of us, we begin to overflow that love to everybody around us. A love that's humble. A love that says, I'm here to serve. A love that says, I'm not going to take my rights or my privileges. I'll set those aside for your benefit. Because that's what God did for us when he came and he walked along the earth. And how do we begin to develop this type of love? Well, one, the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life. But Paul says this in Philippians 3.17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. How do we grow in this type of understanding of Jesus? We have to do this together in community. We don't do this on our own. Who are your mentors? Maybe somebody who's a little bit older in the faith, a little bit more mature, who's walking alongside of you, who's allowed to speak into your life, right? The things we want to hear and the things we don't want to hear. Who are the folks who can walk up to, to me and say, hey, Jason, I, I saw that over there. And I, I don't think that's very Christ-like. And I want to help you walk through that. Not in a judgment way, not in a, like a shame on you, but in a, hey, can I come alongside of you and help you grow and help you understand the depth to which Jesus loves you? Because as we grow in those things, as we grow in our understanding of Jesus, as this love begins to flow out of us, Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw in me. Then the peace of God will be with you. So as we grow in our knowledge and understanding, we begin to fix our mind and our eyes on the things that they're supposed to be fixed on. And that love begins to bubble up over us to those around us. That's Paul's prayer for the Philippians. It should be our prayer for ourselves. Because following Jesus is a growing process. Each and every one of us has the opportunity to become a little more loving. But it's out of that love that then Paul says this in Philippians 1.10. Back to that first prayer. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Not only are we supposed to be people who overflow in love. We should be people who pursue excellence. Now, let me think, let's talk about what that means. I think it's really easy to choose between what's good and what's bad, right? Broccoli is good for me. Fudge is not good for me. Only during the week between Christmas and New Year's is fudge the right choice. Every other time I should eat broccoli, right? Good, bad, we know this. <coughs> but let's take it down just a minute into some more real life situations, so I grew up in a very conservative home, missing church on a Sunday morning, bad, right? Or that's bad to miss church. Going to church on a Sunday morning, good. Missing church to play on a basketball team, bad, right? So I'm not saying these are the things we should 
the way we should categorize it. I'm just telling you how I grew up. Going to church, good. Skipping church for basketball, bad, right? Black and white. That's the way it is. Super easy. Maybe it's easy. Maybe it's not easy. We get tied in this thing. But what's excellence in this decision? What's best? The hard decisions are choosing between what's good and what's best. So I got a chance to watch my previous senior pastor in Indiana wrestle through this exact decision. Go to church on Sunday morning, good. Skip church for basketball, bad. His son, we'll call him Mike, was seven foot tall. When you are seven feet tall, everybody wants you to play on their basketball team. If you have one ounce of coordination, everybody is looking for you to come play basketball for them. So Mike got picked up by a basketball team and he kept playing and then he got picked up by another team and these traveling teams and all of a sudden it came down to Mike had to play every Sunday morning. And so here's his dad, the senior pastor of the church who's going to be here and preach most of the time. So is he going to miss his son play? Is he going to explain to the church that basketball was more important than church for his family? What are you going to do? Because realistically, there's quite possibly a quarter million dollar scholarship on the line. And the church isn't handing out a quarter million dollars anytime to people who come, right? So like, how do we balance this? Well, here's what they did. And I thought, you know, if I ever get in that situation, that's the excellent decision. They decided that as a church family, they were going to worship together every weekend. And if that meant finding a church that had a Saturday night service or a Saturday morning service or a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening service, that is what they would do. And what they did then was they let Mike pick the church. Because eventually Mike was going to be playing college basketball or going to college at least and have to figure out what kind of church he wanted to find for himself. And so instead of looking at the good and the bad, they went for what's best. But that takes some effort. It takes some work to figure out what's best. Because we can sit back and say, oh, well, I've done all the good stuff, right? Up until Mike was 15, we never missed a Sunday. Mike grew up in the kids program. Mike went to the youth group. Mike was a great kid. Mike could skip church on Sunday for three years. It'd be okay. Right? Or is there a better decision? And Paul says, I kind of get that. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says this, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have more. And then he lists this, this thing for the Jewish believers of that time that would give them the ultimate confidence. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure blood citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul, like many of us, could have just said, hey, I've done it all. I'm done. I put in my effort. I've given it all I got. I'm just going to sit. I've arrived. Paul says, no, that's not what it means to pursue excellence. That's not what I'm praying for you, Philippian church. I'm praying that you'll pursue excellence. So he continues in verses 7 and 8. I once thought these things were valuable, 
But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so I could gain Christ. Paul says, what I thought was good, what I thought was making the mark, all those Sunday school, all those attendance, all that stuff, it wasn't, it was good, but it wasn't excellent. And I'm going to set aside what was good to pursue what's excellent. How are we doing it? Pursuing excellence. Paul's final statement on this continues as he finishes that argument in three, chapter 3, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. If Paul, the guy who wrote over half the New Testament, still has another step of faith to take, I'm going to guess that you and I probably still have one more step we could take. Something else we could press into. And so as we begin 2022, I want you to think about what would it look like for you to pursue excellence? Now I want to pause for just a minute because when we pursue excellence, we can very subtly shift into worshiping excellence. Excellence is to be pursued, not worshiped. What do I mean by that? If I'm pursuing excellence, excellence is becoming more like Christ. So as I pursue that, I should become more loving towards my neighbor. I should become more grace-filled towards those who don't meet the standards I want them to meet. I should become more compassionate to those in need. I should welcome those who are on the outside. But when I begin to worship excellence, then it becomes about me. And when you don't meet my excellent standard, then I become judgmental. Then I look down on you in unloving ways. Or I begin to tell you how great I am, right? That's, it's that subtle shift of pursuing an excellent relationship with Jesus that's causing me to grow to be more Christ-like to then worshiping that excellent relationship and saying, look at me. Look at everything I've done. And we have to be careful that we don't switch from that pursuit of excellence, pursuit of love, pursuit of who Jesus is, to a thinking we've already arrived and beginning to worship our own excellence. Because growing, because following Jesus is a growing relationship. The last thing Paul says to this church you need to be gospel-focused. Gospel-focused. He says in verse 11, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Our relationship with Jesus should be producing fruit in our life. Our pursuit of excellence should be producing fruit in our life. Overflowing love, that's the main fruit of the Spirit, right? That you would produce love. What is the fruit that we begin to see? as we pursue who Jesus is, as we grow in our relationship. Paul says this to the Colossian church, and he says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. 
then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Paul is praying that as we understand our salvation, it's not simply about us getting into heaven, right? Some people think, I I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven, that's all that matters. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's actually the side benefit. Our relationship with Jesus should bear fruit in our lives here and now. Our relationship with Jesus should be contagious to all those around us. Our lives are focused on the gospel when we begin to welcome the outsider, when we begin to stand up for the oppressed, when we love unconditionally, when we live selfishly for the benefit of our neighbor, our lives are gospel-focused. How does it happen? Our lives take on that focus when the Holy Spirit indwells us and lives in us and we begin to listen to him. But it also happens when we pray this prayer that Paul has prayed for the Philippian church for our own lives. And we begin to live that out. If following Jesus is a growing process, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. Hard questions about our motive. Do I want to be more like Jesus so that more people will come to follow Jesus? Or do I want to be more like Jesus so people will look at me and say, wow, look at Jason's life. He's got it together. Our motive in following Jesus and doing what Jesus asks us to do is that more people would understand how much he loves them. Not so that they look at us and go, wow, that's kind of nice. My prayer for Great Oaks in 2022 is that every one of us would take one more step in our relationship with Jesus. One step closer. And I pray and I hope that one of those steps for you and for I will be a growing in our prayer life and in our understanding of that. And so as I said at the beginning, we're going to give you some ways to do that. So here's your opportunity to grow in your prayer life for January. I'm going to give you level one, two, three. You choose where you want to dive in. Level one, I want you to pray Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. Philippians verse, chapter one, verse nine through 11, for our church every day. That's the easiest step because you're just going to read those verses, pray it for Great Oaks, but you can pray it for Great Oaks and not for yourself, right? So you just pray that everybody else does that. If you're like, I'm up for more of a challenge than that, Jason. Come on, give me something a little meaty here. I want to challenge you to pray that for yourself and for Great Oaks every day. That you would be overflowing in love. That we'd be, be a church that's overflowing in love. That we as individuals would pursue excellence. And that we'd be a church that pursues excellence. And that we'd be gospel focused. And if you're like, okay, I'm ready for the deep end. Give me the hard stuff. Don't only pray it. Memorize it. If you're ready for the the big deep challenge, memorize these three verses this month. Pray them every day for yourself and for our church. And I want to see what happens at the end of January 
as we become a people focused on prayer, trusting that God will work when we submit our lives to him. So if I come back to that first question, if you could learn one thing about prayer in 2022, what do you want to learn? I want to invite you to share that with somebody. It's easy to write it down. We're all going to make New Year's resolutions, or a lot of us have. I gave that up 20 years ago. It doesn't work for me. But when I share what I want to grow, how I want to grow with somebody else who can say, hey, remember that thing you wrote down in church on the second? How you doing? Maybe the best place to share that is in your small group or in your life group. And if you're saying, I'm not a part of a life group. Well, Pastor Chase isn't here today, but we would love to talk with you. You could stop at Connection Central, find out about your life group. You can do that on the church app. You could come talk to me. We'd love to get you connected in a life group because we think that's where we're really going to begin to see growth as we share our lives with each other. So what's the next step for you? What's the step you're going to take in your relationship with Jesus in 2022? As you think about that, let's pray about it. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful that you are so gracious and so loving towards us. God, when we mess up, we can come to you in prayer. I am sorry. And your grace and your forgiveness come over us and fill us. God, I pray that you would make us people of prayer, people who are dependent on you. And God, I pray that as we grow in our understanding of what we're supposed to pray about and how we're supposed to pray, that God, your love would overflow out of us and be contagious to those around us. God, again, this is about your glory and your honor. God, give us the courage to take that next step to grow in our relationship with you this year. Show us what it is and give us the courage to step out in faith. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.